Okay, hi, my name's Lucy Clough. I'm from England and 15 years ago, I delivered the furthest pizza delivery for Domino's Pizza from London to Australia. Lucy was working for Domino's at this time and was chosen from thousands of volunteers to deliver this intercontinental pizza. Yes, it was a giant marketing stunt for a major corporation, but it was all designed to generate money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and it was an official Guinness World Record. In case you didn't know, the Guinness Book of World Records and its judges take this stuff very seriously. Right, so to get into the Guinness Book of Records, there were rules that had to be followed. So we had the Domino's pizza standard rules, but you couldn't just like randomly deliver a pizza to Australia. It had to be set up properly. So Ryan Maloney, who plays a character in an Australian soap opera called Neighbours, he made the telephone call to London quite a bit before, like a day before, because obviously it took 30 hours to deliver. And he made the call and ordered the pizza. So it was in the system. And the pizza was made in London, and then we drove to Heathrow Airport, and we got on the plane. Yeah, it went through security. It did have to be checked each time. It was in the, like, the Domino's hot bag, and each time I had to take it out of the hot bag, undo the box, show that, yes, it was a pizza, and put it back in the box and back in the hot bag. The whole flight, when you're in the aeroplane, was about 24 hours. Every so often, the pilot would say, you are on a world record journey flight here, be part of it. And the pizza would come out of the overhead locker and I'd walk through the plane and there's like video footage of all these like hands coming into the aisles and touching the world record pizza. <laughs> So uh, we got to Australia, we had the pizza, it was all ready, the character was waiting, it was really exciting. And I was able to say my script that you've got to say, hi, I'm Lucy from Domino's, that was 30 hours to the door, here is your veggie supreme pizza. And then this is the only bit that went wrong. It had to be a transaction, you couldn't just give it to him for free. Otherwise, it was not a valid pizza delivery. And he said, how much is it? And I just, just like froze and went, well, it's in UK pounds. And he only had Australian money. <laughs> I think he gave me um, 20 Australian dollars. So I took it, had the rest as a tip, which I don't think is very much tip, considering I just traveled 30 hours to give him a pizza. <laughs> Lucy might have been stiffed on the tip, but she did get a free vacation to Australia, and her name is forever etched in the record books. Food inspires us to do weird things, and it definitely influences our travel plans. I mean, that's pretty much what this entire show is about. So on today's episode, we have three segments that prove most travel is just an excuse to eat something. We have Guy Fieri road trips, an interview with Phil Rosenthal, and a company that connects travelers with home cooks all over the world. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers.
My name is Rick Grainer. My wife's name is Jennifer, and we run FlavortownUSA.com. FlavortownUSA.com is a fan site for all the restaurants Guy Fieri visits on his TV show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Well, my wife turned me on to the show. We're avid travelers, and one of the things we would do is find oddball places to go when we travel. So she said, there's a show I gotta watch, and he goes to all the places I love, dive bars, dive restaurants, non-traditional places. And once I saw the show, I immediately started putting all the locations in an Excel spreadsheet. And actually, when I I put the site together, the website together in 2008, I kind of thought maybe he'd get to 100 shows. You know, I didn't think I'd be doing this 13 years later, keeping them up to date. And that was part of our new itinerary when we would travel from now on. Guys on Screen Persona might not suit every viewer, but he and his team do an exemplary job scouting beloved locally owned restaurants true to the show's name. You know, we've been to about 400 diners driving the dives, so we've only been through like a third of them. Hodad's is a burger bar, skater bar. We love Psycho Susie's here in Minneapolis. Definitely get there if you can. There's another one I like too, it's in uh, Chicago. It's called Puma's Corner. So it's like a heavy metal bar. So all their burgers are named after like Pantera, Metallica. Jennifer and I, one of her favorite places is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That place was in a bowling alley of all places. The best duck tacos. She still talks about them today. The Cuba trip was amazing. We couldn't wait to go. Jennifer planned it out and the people were amazing. We walked the whole city of Havana and they were, you know, I felt good just being, I'm here, I'm contributing, I'm helping a local business and I'm in Cuba of all places. So Rick and his wife, Jennifer, who supported this interview but did not want to be on the podcast herself, found themselves basing travel plans, even to other countries, around the restaurants featured on Triple D. And this spawned Flavortown USA, their online database, complete with interactive map, that catalogs the thousand plus restaurants featured on the show. And we've enjoyed meeting a a lot of these folks because they'll swing through here. And I don't think I've ever had a bad word or anybody. Like Bill. My name's Bill Grella. I'm in Leesburg, Virginia. To date, I've been to 819 places that have been featured on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I like to say I've been from Maine to Florida and all the way to Hawaii and a bunch of places in between. We went to uh, the Village Cafe, which is on the campus of Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU. I'm like, this is really cool, man. I saw this place on TV. Soon, Bill couldn't stop himself. I think I took my first Triple D trip in 2008. It has allowed me to travel to places I never thought I'd go to. The furthest place I've gone to is I've gone to Honolulu twice. When I was out there, I hit like five or six places on that trip as well. I mean, I'd like to get to as many as I can, but I really would like to get to a thousand. I'm hoping within maybe a year and a half of doing that. And through these Triple D trips, Bill has been inspired to broaden his own culinary horizons. There's a place in Oklahoma, they call them lamb fries. And if it's your first time there, you get an order of them complimentary. Lamb fries are fried lamb testicles, by the way. 
I can name a dozen great places right off the top of my head that is like, there's no way I would have ever found if I had never done this. So Scully's Tavern in Miami is definitely one of those. I would never have gone into that place. And that's one of the best restaurants I think I've ever been in. So, And then I've actually met a couple that they featured going to their 100th. Uh, they live in Phoenix now. And a guy who, who runs the uh, Flavortown USA, uh, I've become friends with him as well. Most fans of the show don't end up dedicating so much of their vacation time to visiting Triple D spots. But still, the amount of attention these restaurants receive after being featured on the show cannot be overstated. So we did. <laughs> we did. We had, we had shots of Grey Goose first thing in the morning, and the one producer came up to me, and she was like, don't overdo it because we don't want you getting emotional on camera because we've had to stop filming before for other owners that get emotional. I'm like, no, no, don't worry. We're going to be fine. I can handle it. <laughs> This is Sophia Vasilides. She's the co-owner of Sip and Bite, a 24-7 Baltimore diner that's been open since the 1940s. We were busy before all of this, you know, before we were filmed, for sure. We had, because we've been around forever, we've had a very steady clientele in Baltimore. But what Triple D did was expose us even more to people that want to travel and take road trips and, you know, have fun with their families. It was crazy. We had a line down the block. I had to have security outside to just usher people in and out. It was insane. Sophia can even tell you when her episode gets a rerun, as she'll see an aftershock of customers coming in. If any business owner is listening and they tell you to close down on a Friday or Saturday, don't think twice about it, because you're going to make it back tenfold. We're forever thankful to Guy Fieri and um, Citizen Pictures and Food Network for uh, showcasing us in that light. Over the years, Rick and the Flavortown USA community have created their own database of Fieri-worthy recommendations. And Triple D has even sourced some of their picks for the show. So we're up to over 6,000 fan recommendations. And that's a whole different side of the site. And just right there, I mean, that ought to tell you enough about the community that they're so pumped about just the ones guy visited that they're willing to add more. I definitely would encourage people to travel this way. It's a great way to tour the United States. You know, people want to have fun and they're on a road trip. These are those kind of places. Now you've got a community that's laser focused on uh, mom and pops supporting local business. The beauty of food in all these different places, not only in the United States, but around the world. I mean, that's a sign of what people are doing. You know, that's their culture. That's how they grew up. And so if they're brave enough to create a restaurant around it, that's culture. That's awesome. But that's the kind of experience you want to have, especially when you're traveling. You know, so food's not everything, but, but you got to eat somewhere. All right, so many of the restaurants featured on diners, drive-ins, and dives are now open and doing takeout or selling merch online, so go support them, including Sip and Bite. Links to them and Flavortown USA are in our description. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Writer and comedian Phil Rosenthal co-created the award-winning sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond, He's played himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and most relevant to our own interests, he's the host of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix, which is the successor to I'll Have What Phil's Having on PBS. In his show, Phil travels all around the world eating and drinking local items of note. 
He's been everywhere from New Orleans to Copenhagen to Marrakesh. He pretty much has the best job in the entire world. Naturally, we thought he'd be a good person to talk about food, travel, and the best ways to combine both of these passions. Here's his call with producer Mia Fask. Do you still have any anxiety when it comes to traveling? Like, or at this point, does it really not phase you anymore? That's a good question. I, I can't say it guts on my nerves. There's always a thrill for me. Like I'm excited to go everywhere. I love going. But listen, uh, you're talking to a guy who gets excited when the menu comes up on my phone for what I'm going to order for lunch. There was an airline in the 80s. Tell me who's old listening, who remembers this, from New York to Brussels. That's where they went. It was one route, New York to Brussels. $99 to Brussels. You sat on that thing. I remember potato chips on the floor. I remember children with their parents sitting on their laps. And then the lady would come down the aisle, the flight attendant, with the card. And on the cart was the credit card reader, the manual one. We went like this with the credit card and it had a carbon copy. And she was taking your card. This is how you paid for People Express on the plane. So it was like being on a bus ride. And But you got off that plane and now you're in Brussels, which means you're in Europe, which means you get on the train and go to Paris. And you're there in a couple hours. And I did this. I did this every year. And I had no money. But I loved it. If you can't pay for the ride, do they make you like fly the plane? You probably have to clean up. <laughs> you have to clean up. Phil, you're known for being one of the most expressive eaters um, out there. <laughs> kind of like the Tom Hanks of, of tasting, if you will. <laughs> it, I swear it happens almost every day because I don't care if it's, you know, this four-star meal in Singapore or the street food in Singapore or the street food in Bangkok or the street food in San Francisco. I don't care. Delicious is delicious. If I have a great hot dog, I make that face. Um, I just want to ask you about, like, the dishes, in your opinion, that are worth traveling the greatest distances for. The first one I'm going to say, and I'm telling you, I really believe that it's worth a trip for these, okay? The herring sandwich in the market in Tel Aviv from Sherry Herring. And I know it's like, what? Herring sandwich? What's wrong with this guy? Have the sandwich. Watch the Tel Aviv episode. Look at that sandwich. Wowie, wow, wow. There are things that when we film it, the crew goes like nuts because I'm sharing with them. And we talk about it after. And we say, and this happens at least once per episode, off camera, let's go back. I remember the crab omelet in Bangkok, made by Jay Fai, who won a Michelin star for her shack of a restaurant. I mean, it is it is not fancy. It's on a side street. It's not nothing. But this woman, in her 70s, with these aviator glasses to protect her her eyes from the wok that's on the fire. And she makes this, watch that thing. That, that's one of the best things I've ever ate is the, the thing. And then I went to Chiang Mai from there in the same episode and had a dish called cow soy. 
which was also one of the best things I ever ate. And I would travel there. And that's not easy because you've got to first get to Bangkok, not so easy. Then it's another few hours to get to Chiang Mai. What's cow soy? I love that you asked that. Okay. You can get it. Where are you? I'm in Brooklyn. Okay. There you have great Thai restaurants. Cow soy is this. A bowl of coconut curry broth with fresh, if they do it right, hand-pulled noodles. Like the best pasta you ever had at the bottom of this book. Then, in the bowl, chilies, pickled mustard greens, shallots, onions. I had it with chicken, and then I had it with beef. They do it with shrimp, they do it with tofu, they do it with whatever you want. And then on top of all that, crispy noodles. Texture, flavor, hot, comforty, hot, a little spicy if you want. I mean, one of the world's great dishes, right? Worth going to Chiang Mai. Like, I dream about that. And by the way, that dish, a dollar. My second favorite price. <laughs> that sounds incredible. It really sounds like, you know, a, a harmony. Of- like like, like the, 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 the pretentious uh, foodies talk about well-balanced, right? It's balanced. Yes. They use that balance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have to use it because that's really what it is. It's got everything going. And so you're right. Harmony is a better word because it's like this symphony of excellence. And you get to eat it. The best part. The best part. So delicious. The worst word in the restaurant business. The worst phrase. Let's say you're on a date and it's very romantic. And the waiter comes over and says, uh, choice of protein. I'm like, well, what? What are we in a science lab? Why are you saying that? Could you be a little less romantic? That's a terrible phrase, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, what What kind of uh, animal flesh would you like? Yeah, it's like very, well, like... Tonight's flesh. <laughs> this thing, it's a, classified as street food, but it's $50. So it's the world's most expensive street food. But it's $50 in Bangkok on the street. It would be $200 in a restaurant in America. Why? Because... They are shucking fresh crab, and there's about a pound of it in your omelet, which she is then hand-making, and it takes a good amount of time for her to make this football filled with crab. Of all the places that you've been to, what would you say was the most, like, meal after meal, just, like, the most gratifying consistently throughout the whole time you were there? Well, Italy wins. Uh, you know, and this is again subjective and personal, but that place—it's hard to get a bad anything. Everywhere you look is gorgeous. Every bite of food to me is delicious, and everyone's hugging and kissing you. So what's not to like? So, so for me, Italy wins. I've said that before, but but I do honestly love everywhere I've been. But I have to say, like in the Mississippi Delta, where I was expecting everything to be uh, fried and fatty. I found great diversity and the best of fried and fatty, first of all, if you're gonna go that way. Like I had a chicken fried lobster tail. So I'm like, what are you doing? Why do you have, does everything need to be chicken fried in this place, right? This was in Memphis at a place called Jim and Samella's, which is a converted house, is now a restaurant. You sit at different tables in the house and it's phenomenal fun. And guys in the back making all this delicious food, like waffles with apples and Crown Royal sauce. So the lobster tail 
is encrusted, the whole thing, with the shell. And I'm like, what? why bother? Were you chicken fried a shell? Why? why? But what that does is it encases the meat. It flash fries the outside. So inside becomes tender and juicy and stays tender and juicy. And that kind of seeps into that delicious, barely cooked, juicy, tender lobster tail meat. You know, the most overrated dish in the world is the grilled lobster tail because the grill dries it out. It's true. Intru- I, I've never thought about that, but I think you're onto something there. I mean, it sounds great. Who wouldn't want that until you get it? And you're like, yeah, not as delightful as it should be. Steam lobster, way better. So this chicken frying the lobster tail actually steams that meat in there, in that casing. Yes. So I'm not a chef at all. I wouldn't know how to make that dish, but I sure do appreciate it. And the chefs like me because I love them. Like that guy who does that, that's a genius. I've given this a lot of thought. I believe that food encompasses all the other art forms and then adds one, which is the chewing and the swallowing. This is so a great restaurant is like traveling to another culture. You're seeing the place, the atmosphere, you're feeling it, you're hearing it, you're smelling it, obviously, but then you eat it. There's such pleasure associated with that. And then everything else is what am I going to do between meals? For more of Phil, watch Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix, check out the links in our description, and keep your eyes peeled for the Somebody Feed Phil official cookbook, which will be published next year. Traveling Spoon connects people from all over the world to home chefs in countries across Asia, Europe, and North America. Basically, you get invited into someone's home, they teach you how to cook a regional dish, And then you eat with your host, and in many cases, their families too. We love everything about this concept, so we asked one of their founders and two of their hosts to tell us their stories. Hi, I'm Ashi Vail. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Traveling Spoon. And I remember being in Mexico in the spring of 2011. I was in Playa del Carmen in the Yucatan. Despite having recommendations from friends and looking at reviews of restaurants. I went to quite a few, but I found them to be rather touristy and crowded and the places were beautiful. The ambiance was great, but the food itself seemed to cater more to a Western palate. And I really struggled hard to find authentic Mexican food. I knew it was there. Mexico has amazing food, but I had such a hard time finding it. And I remember one day walking on the street and I happened to pass by this woman's home and I looked through the window and I saw her cooking. And I just had this moment where I was like, that's what I want. I want to eat with her. I want to hear her stories and have a meal. And I thought that would just be the best way to experience the food and the culture of the region. And I had started business school at Berkeley a couple of months later. I met my co-founder there, Steph Lawrence, and we decided this is what we wanted to do when we graduated and started Traveling Spoon. And what we are is an online marketplace that connects travelers with private and authentic food experiences in people's homes around the world. My name is Nancy Springs. I live in Chicago, Illinois. I am a host 
for traveling soon. I teach people how to make kuchis pizza. And so we kind of went back and forth and we just really couldn't come up with a more, you know, a stronger way to say this is Chicago than do this pizza. It's just so different, you know, the way that you layer it, the way that, you know, you have to have the crust go off the edges of the pan. And so um, it, it's really fun to show people how to make this authentic dish. So um, we went to Portugal and we did an all-inclusive and we came home and we were like, you know, we could have been in Wisconsin. You know, all the food was prepared on premises and all the activities were on premises. And one day, like we walked along this strip, but I just remember thinking, I don't feel like I've been to Portugal. Like, I feel like, you know, we could have been at the Hilton, just fill in the blank. We used to love when we would travel. I had to love going to the grocery stores and just seeing what they bought and you know i just think that it's a great way of learning about other people by sharing food with them and learning learning about them that way my name is josh weitzer and i live here in barcelona and i am a host for traveling spoon I think that when you take a cooking class, it is a window on the culture itself as well. It's not just what they're eating, it's how they're eating it. For example, here in Catalonia, there is a great tradition of eating these really long onions called calçots. And once it sprouts, they cover it with soil again. Once it sprouts again, they cover it and they cover it and they cover it until you get a really long uh, white onion. They pull them out and they just sear them over flames. And then they'll wrap them up in newspapers and let them finish cooking a little bit. It will hell above your head and then sliding it into your mouth. And then you're drinking wine out of something called a porron, right? There's ways of interacting with food. I want to share with people the way people eat, the way they use ingredients, the way they buy their ingredients. Almost always people choose to do a market tour as well as a cooking experience. It's harder to get, for example, at a restaurant uh, in Barcelona. Another value is definitely that you're going to learn how to repeat those flavors when you get home. And I think that's one of the great things. And our mission has always been to make travel meaningful. And we do that by connecting travelers with local hosts in their homes that are vetted and these are all private experiences. I will say for me, the power of travel lies not only in going to new places and seeing new things, but actually in meeting somebody from a completely different part of the world and over a meal, realizing just how similar we all are, right? And that's what travel is all about. It's about learning, being exposed to new things and having new things and learning new things in our lives makes us just that more energized, that more exposed to the world. And having a meal with somebody often allows you to let your guard down. And that's when those conversations happen that allow you to connect and realize that, you know, a grandmother in Hanoi is just as likely to force feed her grandkids as a grandmother in New York. And that's wonderful. So travel is obviously not advised right now, but you can take classes online with hosts around the world, including Nancy and Josh with Traveling Spoon. We have a link in our description. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but when we get back, we'll wrap everything up. Stick around.
Okay, that does it for us. But if you're still listening, you must like us. So please leave us a five-star review. It really helps the show. And check out Thrillist's new podcast, Thrillist Weekend Guide to NYC, which is exactly what it sounds like. It comes out every Thursday, and it's all about the things you can do in New York City, uh, where you can get the best takeout from, the best outdoor bars. It comes in handy. Check it out. Okay, so thanks to the podcast dream team, producers Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask, editors Dean White and Abby Austria, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Felt, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudar. You made it to the end, so I will leave you with a fun fact. According to Melissa McCarthy, her character in Bridesmaids was based upon Guy Fieri, which is reason enough to rewatch that movie. So go do that. All right, I'll see you next week.